1 Samuel chapter 3. Now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli, and the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. At that time, Eli, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim so that he could not see, was lying down in his own place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord, where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called Samuel, and he said, Here I am, and ran to Eli, and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call, lie down again. So he went and lay down. And the Lord called again, Samuel. And Samuel arose and went to Eli, and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call, my son, lie down again. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, and the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. And the Lord called Samuel again the third time. And he arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. Then Eli perceived that the Lord was calling the boy. Therefore Eli said to Samuel, Go, lie down, and if he calls you, you shall say, Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. And the Lord came and stood, calling as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, Speak, for your servant hears. Then the Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I am about to do a thing in Israel at which the two ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. On that day I will fulfill against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. And I declare to him that I am about to punish his house forever for the iniquity that he knew, because his sons were blaspheming God, and he did not restrain them. Therefore I swear to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever. Samuel lay until morning, then he opened the doors of the house of the Lord. And Samuel was afraid to tell the vision to Eli. But Eli called Samuel and said, Samuel, my son. And he said, Here I am. And Eli said, what was it that he told you? Do not hide it from me. May God do so to you and more also if you hide anything from me of all that he told you. So Samuel told him everything and hid nothing from him. And he said, it is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. And Samuel grew and the Lord was with him and let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel from Dan to Beersheba knew that Samuel was established as a prophet of the Lord. And the Lord appeared again at Shiloh, for the Lord revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord. And the word of Samuel came to all Israel. Uh, Last week, we said the book was the rise and the fall of two kings, Saul, the people's king, and David, God's king. Uh, It's the shape of the book, as one rises, the other falls, um, which is teaching us that we need God's king. Uh, And the story of the two two kings are framed by those two speeches, uh, Hannah at the start of 1 Samuel, uh, which we saw last week, and David's, which comes at the end of 2 Samuel. But now here's the obvious question. Uh, What are we doing for the next two weeks? Um, As you reach the climax of Hannah's prayer in chapter 2, verse 10, the Lord will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. Uh, What do we all want to know about now? 
Well, the king, of course. Where's the king? Uh, Where is this anointed? Why are we, in effect, pausing the story? Uh, Let's get on with this narrative. Uh, Let's go reverse the fortunes of the world. Uh, That's what Hannah's prayer taught us. After all, we need the king. But the author has been brilliant here, and he's paused the story. In fact, pausing us and forcing us to stop and to think. Uh, We don't actually have the word king mentioned again until chapter 8. The idea of a king isn't even mentioned before then. And there's stuff the reader needs to understand before we get even to Saul. So we're going to pause and we're going to realize along with the author that God by his spirit has placed a lot of material in front of these kings. Why is it all here? You and I would never, ever write it like this. Why do we need to hear before we even meet Saul? Why do we need to hear all this? And once we've felt the story, I think we'll be in a place ready to answer that question. So today's story, it's another reversal. Uh, Last week, it was Hannah rising and her rival Penny falling. Uh, This week, uh, Eli's household of the priests need to come down. And the most unexpected little boy rises up. In Hannah's prayers imagery, chapter 2, verse 5, Eli's house are full of food. And verse 9, they are mighty. And verse 3, they are proud and arrogant. They need to be brought down. It's what we expect now. If we heard Hannah's prayer rightly last week, this is right. Uh, We should know already that the writing is all on the walls for these priests. And so we meet our key verse for today. Uh, Chapter 2, verse 35. Let me read it for us. And I will raise up for myself a faithful priest. So interesting that he puts priest there and not prophet. You'll see why later, why that is so interesting. And I'll raise up for myself a faithful priest who shall do according to what is in my heart and in my mind, and I will build him a sure house, and he shall go in and out before me, before my anointed, forever. This verse is extraordinary. As we dive into the detail, we're going to see the desperate need for another reversal. And just look what the Lord will do. Having brought down Eli's house, verse 35, he'll raise up a faithful priest. And we'll see just how desperately Israel needed that in a moment. Who shall do according to what is in my heart and in my mind. Imagine a priest who is like the Lord. Echoes there already trailing for us David, King David, who chiefly is going to be described as a king after God's own heart. And his house will be sure, stable and secure, uh, entering in and out before the anointed which is literally, uh, in Hebrew, Messiah, without end. Extraordinary verse. See, this verse, it it turns the tables. Uh, This is the heart of why there is a reversal. Uh, The verse speaks of the future, actually, way beyond even these chapters. Uh, But it all starts right here. Now, let's take each chapter in turn and feel this reversal story together. Chapter two is largely about Eli's household and God's verdict on them. And they truly are horrific. 
Our first point, the fall of Hefty Hophni and Fat Finn. Now, I'm not trying to describe Hophni and Finn as hefty and fat in a disparaging or derogatory way, uh, only that the author is having fun with a Hebrew pun. Uh, see, the, the Hebrew word for weight and glory are the same word. Uh, one, meaning with a dub- one word sorry, with a double meaning, uh, weight and heavy and glory. All potential meanings from that same word. So we've got Samuel. Uh, he is obviously light, uh, just a boy. Did you hear how many times it said boy in our two chapters? Uh, potentially as small as three-year-old boy. Uh, he might not even qualify for our Sunday school yet. Uh, still in crash. Um, that is apparently when they weaned back in those days, about three years old. Uh, you could easily pick him up. Just a boy. And Eli's lads... They are big and heavy and glorious. And how vivid is their so-called glory? And this week, and especially next week as well, we'll see what God does as his heavy hand uh, rightly glorifies in reversal. It is God's glory which reverses everything. Um, And I wonder how you felt as you read about Hefty Hophni and Fat Finn. Uh, Even that first descriptive word about them in verse 12. Did you see that when you were reading in advance? Uh, Worthless. Uh, It's actually the same word that Eli accused Hannah of in chapter 1, verse 16. It's a harsh and powerful word, uh, which literally means destructive, uh, wicked, or rebel. Uh, And the last time that word was used in the Bible was back in Judges. Uh, There it was used about gang rapists and murderers. Uh, They were worthless fellows. Same word, worthless. Uh, That's the vivid connotations that this word brings. And end of verse 12, they did not know the Lord. Let's not forget, these are the priests of Israel. This was in Shiloh, at the place where the holy tabernacle was set up, where God dwelt with his people, at least for now. Um, it was the place where big national assemblies gathered together, uh, and the priests were God's mouthpieces for the nation. This was effectively the capital city and the national religious center. And the main reason why they were so fat or because they were paid in kind for their supposed priestly duties. Uh, That was the system. That was right. Um, It was a very high-fat diet indeed. Um, They should take a little bit of every single sacrifice. Uh, That bit's right. The trouble is Hefty, Hophni, and Fat Finn like to take far more fat than they should, uh, the choicest part of the steak. And they do whatever it took to get it, force and abuse if necessary, at shortchanging God to fill themselves up. They were fattening thieves. But not only that, um, they turned Shiloh into an abusive brothel. Look at halfway through verse 22, how they lay with the women who were serving at the entrance to the tent of meeting. Uh, Now that might have just been adultery, Although, let's be honest, uh, they are the women's bosses. Uh, The potential abuse of power uh, and force displayed in verse 16 might well be being replicated here in verse 22. 
abusive, thieving, godless, evil, worthless priests. Now let's do an unusual thing now and pause and get inside the heads of Hefty Hoffney and Fat Finn. Because you see, from their point of view, uh, life has always been this way. Uh, Why wouldn't they keep on stealing the things God cares about the most? Uh, Their daddy Eli might tell them off occasionally, verses 23 to 25. But that's easy enough to shrug off, isn't it? Why not just continue being abusive to women and milking their power for all it's worth? Why wouldn't they? They arrogantly, you see, assume God would never bring them down because it doesn't look like God is doing anything about it. When was the last time he did that? See, one of the reasons it was hard for Israel to wait was because waiting, by definition, takes a lot of patience and a lot of time, especially when God waits for a generation or or more indeed. And building on what we said last week, we find that hard as well, don't we? Firstly, that God not only raises the lowly, but also he brings down the proud. We find that part hard, that he does both. But secondly, the timing of how he does that as well. In God's wisdom, he raises up and brings down in his timing, not ours. Uh, That is really hard for us, isn't it? We think our plans will be inevitably better than God's. Why doesn't God do what I want right now? Have you ever thought that kind of thought? We need to not believe the lie that a hefty Hoffney and fat Finn did. Now we need to pause and consider Eli, the daddy of the big boys, Um, It is striking, isn't it, that in chapter 1, Eli was perfectly capable of rebuking Hannah in the temple when he thought she was worthless, chapter 1, verse 16, which is the same worthless word as his boys were described in chapter 2, verse 12. Uh, But you see here, uh, the father is um, overly indulgent, isn't he? You might say he's good, but he's weak. See, I've scoured the text really hard these last few weeks, and there is little that you can read here which is very negative about Eli. He's good. We'll find that again and again in chapter 3. I certainly can't find anything bad about him. Tell me if you can later on. So we, we sympathize with him, I think. After all, many fathers struggle to tame wild children, don't they? But it is striking here how God doesn't let him off the hook in any way. In fact, he seems to be held to the same accountability as his big sons. Good, but oh so weak. Why? Well, because these were the priests and the mouthpieces of Israel, of God, sorry, for Israel. No wonder chapter 3, verse 1 The word was rare in those days. Just look at the priests the Lord had to deal with. If you were God, wouldn't you stop speaking at least for a time? So God lowers that proud, 
in judgment. Of course he does. And we'll see that unfold in chapter 4 next week. Um, Eli's family, they threw it all away. See, because despite, look at chapter 2, verse 27, despite the fact God revealed himself to Eli and his family, and despite verse 28, God choosing and providing for Eli's family, Eli's household, verse 29, still scorned, or even literally kicked at the sacrifices. You could arguably paraphrase this all like this. God said, um, I've done all this for you, and you've, all you've done is kick me in the face. So what do you expect God to do? Well, if you've had, read Hannah's prayer from last week, reversal is what you expect. Suddenly, we might find it quite, not quite so hard to get on board, having met Hefty, Hophni, and Fat Finn, to get on board with God bringing down the proud and judging sin. They get what they deserve. It's a really good thing. If we paid attention in Hannah's prayer, we know God knew, God cares, God does act, God judges, God reverses. Or chapter 2, verse 30 puts it, those who honour me I will honour, and those who despise me shall be lightly esteemed. Here's reversal in action. So now just imagine... Uh, being a Jew at that time, or potentially even maybe one of the abused women uh, at the gate in Shiloh. How are you feeling? How are you feeling? Would you go to the tabernacle? Would you risk the abuse? Um, What trust Hannah must have had in God to hand over her son Samuel to Eli? knowing that Eli's sons were like this. And yet still, laced into the story, little boy, Samuel grows. It's quite something, isn't it, that Samuel grew up in a household like this. It's a miracle he turned out the way he did. Did you notice as well how subtly through the author keeps on reminding us of the little boy, the little lad, Uh, Look at chapter 2, verse 11. It starts right there, the little boy. Uh, And then cuts back, verses 18 to 21. And again, verse 26. And again, chapter 3, verse 1. You'd never guess it. But little Samuel is the beginning of God's answer, which brings about reversal. He was just a boy, an apprentice, dropped off by a nobody in Hannah. And the author weaves Samuel in all the way through so that we don't despair while we're looking at Hefty Hoffney and Fat Finn. There is hope in this little boy. If we heard Hannah's prayer rightly, we're mindful that God can raise up the light and the humble. So let's move to focus on Samuel chapter 3. The rise of little boy Samuel. And first of all, worth noting uh, the progression of this chapter. Uh, We start um, at the conclusion of chapter 2 with the word of God being rare, chapter 3, verse 1. And we end chapter 4 with the word being absolutely everywhere, uh, rare to everywhere. 
Look how chapter 3 concludes. This is amazing. Four times in different ways, the author rubs it in our faces. Um, Look at chapter 3, verse 19. The Lord let none of Samuel's words fall to the ground. Verse 20, all Israel from Dan to Bathsheba knew that Samuel was established as a prophet of the Lord. Verse 21, the Lord revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord. And chapter 4, verse 1, and Samuel's word came to all Israel. Not some, but all Israel. Extraordinary progression. What makes the difference? What's the change? Well, besides our key verse and and God's intervention, the little boy. You could also say the light of Eli's house fading and God raising up this little boy. Did you see that imagery in verses two and three? Eli's eyes in verse two, growing dim. See, the the lamp of God was a a physical, literal light, um, but dim. Uh, This nightlight, which was to remain on always through the night. Uh, The light it casts may be dim, but it's not extinguished. Hope remains. Samuel is this hope, despite Eli's Eli's house going out. And so we hit this famous scene. Samuel hears presumably an audible voice. um, Here I am. Of course, He thinks Eli's called him. That's logical. But Eli confirms, I didn't. Go back and lie down. Happens a second time. The repetition is almost comical, isn't it? Confusion reigns. Third time, it is so obvious. Something must be going on. Eli gives Samuel the prophet the best advice he could have given. He tells him to say, speak, Lord, For your servant hears. Then verse 10, the Lord physically appears in some way in front of Samuel. Samuel, Samuel, he says. So the boy says, speak, for your servant hears. And so God delivers this message, uh, which verse 11 would make everyone's ears tingle. Uh, Just think, how much would faithful Israel be longing to hear this message? And how much would Samuel have dreaded to say it to Eli? Uh, Samuel, um, Eli, your adopted father and your adopted siblings, they're all going to die. That line of priesthood will be cut off forever. Uh, Verse 14, no chance of any forgiveness now. It's far too late for that. Just imagine being Samuel, lying in that bed that night after hearing this message. The thoughts rushing through his brain, what do I say to my daddy? Eli, yet again, he's so good, isn't he? Telling Samuel, don't hide anything from him. Or me, sorry, verse 17. So it steals the boy, the little boy, to deliver the hard truth to his adopted daddy. What a prophet. Verse 18, Samuel told him everything and hid nothing. Eli, again, so good again, rightly concedes. It is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. What a godly response. Just listen to it. 
Now, before we pause um, and to think about what this means for us, uh, we need to hit an important caveat. Samuel's story is not normal for us today. I once had dinner with um, a Christian who had given up. Um, And he told me the reason he gave up was because he had never heard the voice of God. Didn't matter how much he prayed, he just never heard it in his head or out loud. I said, well, by your definition of hearing his voice audibly, then I too have never heard God's voice either. His ears certainly pricked up suddenly. But it's true. This is not how God normally speaks today. And just remember, uh, this wasn't the experience for most of faithful Israel. Uh, They just heard what Samuel had heard from the Lord. If you want to track that onto our experience now, uh, we listen to God's full and final word, which, of course, is Jesus. He is our prophet and our word of God. You see, there are many Christians uh, who think this is how God still speaks today with fresh revelation uh, messages about specific things all the time. And I want to say that that can be quite a dangerous thing to be believing. Uh, This is not normal experience for most people. This is a very specific moment in the history of God's people. See, the word of the Lord was rare in those days. And in one sense, it still is today, but for a totally different reason than back then. Uh, The word of the Lord is rare today, not because God is silent for a time. He has spoken fully and finally. Uh, The word of the Lord is rare today because people aren't currently paying attention to it. Or maybe because we aren't speaking it. But it's definitely not because God hasn't spoken loudly and clearly, fully and finally through the Bible. Uh, See, this Bible, the one that you have in your hand, is all you need to hear God's voice totally. In fact, today we hear his voice more clearly than Samuel ever did. Uh, Samuel would have longed to hear about Jesus uh, and to be able to read the Bible. It would have been better by far. Uh, We have it better than he did. Uh, We don't need to wish that we have an experience like Samuel today. That would be perverse. See, God doesn't need to speak to us like in those rare, extraordinary days of Israel's checkered history. He has spoken. I hope we really believe that. Now, it doesn't mean... He he couldn't speak like Samuel heard again. He is God after all. I personally wouldn't want to limit God in any way, shape or form. But why would he need to? Why would he need to? He has given us his word in the Bible, like we've been thinking about all morning. So let's finish by briefly applying before handing over to you to get on with the work of applying. What did Israel need in the crisis times of Hefty Hophni and Fat Finn? You see, they didn't first and foremost need a king. They actually didn't even get a priest. Firstly, they needed God's word. 
They needed a prophet. Even our key verse suggests they needed a new priest. But here they get Samuel just being a prophet. Later in the story, in a chapter's times, Samuel behaves much more like a priest. But here, right at the start, he's just a prophet. So why are these chapters here? I think we're ready to answer that question now. Why here before we get another mention of the king? This is teaching us that any change must come and be built first and foremost on God's word. Of course it must. God's word helps us navigate and understand God's world. Uh, That is why God raised up Samuel first. It's why he isn't a king or a priest, but a prophet. The Lord who reversed Hannah's fortunes was now reversing Israel's. Um, He's cleared the decks of corruption, thieving, abusive leaders, and brought the word through our little boy. God was no longer silent. It was an exciting time to be in Israel again. In the void of the leadership crisis in Israel, God didn't send a leader, but a boy with his word. And that is what Israel needed. And it is exactly what we need too. It was so good that Israel could now hear God's voice again. The mouthpiece had been proven to be firmly put back on the lips of Samuel, willing to blow any word that the Lord said to him. See, God has always led his people through his word. He's not silent. He has spoken loud and clearly. So the question for you and me is, will we listen? Shall we pray? Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you so much that you are not a silent God, but a speaking God. Thank you so much that you do reverse the world, that when you see the ugly, abusive leadership of people like Hefty Hoffney and Fat Finn, that you bring them down. And Father, we thank you so much that you raise up the humble, the lowly. And Father, thank you so much that you've given us these chapters to teach us that firstly we need your word before anything else is put in place. And so we pray that we would be those who love the sound of your voice and we love to listen to it. Teach us to hear your voice. Teach us to love listening Uh, Teach us to be a group of people, a church family that love your voice and love helping each other hearing it. And we pray all these things, Father, for your great glory. Amen.